the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Welcome to Healthcare Now with your hosts, Larry Jones and Dr. Mark Shayat. Want to become an educated healthcare consumer? Then join our discussion about all things healthcare and understand how to navigate our complex U.S. healthcare system. Now, let's join our hosts in the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now. This is Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark is out this week, and I've got a special guest with us. April Peterson, who is Director of Network for Independent Healthcare Partners. Welcome to the show, April. Well, thank you, Larry. It's nice to be here. We, uh, we're going to talk a lot about the things that you do. I know that you, I want you to give a little bit about your background and, and some of the things, but we're going to talk about all the different intricacies of a physician practice, how a patient consumer can interact with that, and also how physicians interact with insurance companies, April. I, I thought you told me this was an hour show. We, we got <laughs> I know. We that. could spend days on this stuff. You're right. By the way, yesterday was Valentine's Day. Did you have a nice Valentine's? I did. How about good. you? Absolutely Happy good. Happy Valentine's yeah. Day. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your background, April. Well, I've worked in healthcare for probably the last 30 years, but the last 25, I've really operated as an independent physician advocate. Um, our whole mission really is to help preserve and protect the independent practice of medicine because right. we truly do believe that yep. healthcare should lie in the hands of clinicians. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's indicated that only 30% of uh, physician practices today are actually independent. Yes. They're actually owned by either private equity houses or health systems. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but what do you think the status of physicians are today, and what are some of the important issues that physicians deal with day in and day out? Well, again, it would be my perspective from an independent physician practice. Okay. Um, I would say they just are trying to overcome so many challenges today that are facing them with the new models. Um, we used to, 25 years ago, it was a fee-for-service kind of an arrangement where a physician sees a patient, they put a code on a claim, they get paid next. Now it's really moved into this value-based shared savings kind of arena where it's, they're really looking at performance. So it just brings a whole nother level of how to properly document and code that on a claim in order for that reimbursement. And, you know, patients, they don't really understand this stuff at all. Not at all. Yeah. And, and we've talked so many times about how to navigate through the complex healthcare U S system, but you know, some of the challenges that independent practices, and again, what we do every day, you, I, Dr. Mark, it's all about preserving and protecting that independent practice of medicine that you talked about earlier, but trending back to independent physicians you got health systems, you got private equity houses, you've got Walmart, CVS, Walgreens Village MD, Amazon. How is this impacting our independent physicians, April? 
Well, obviously, it puts a level of competition up for them, right? Yep. But I will say, overall, I would even almost bet you that over 90% of a very large network that I work with, which mm-hmm. is close to about 1,000 physicians okay. in Florida, I would say that 90% of them really do retain their patient population, and I'll tell you why. Because there is an intimate relationship between the patient and the physician. Yes. And in an independent environment, that relationship can be just like you and me, right? We get to know each other. We have a friendship. We build a relationship. Right. I think patients typically stay in that environment because they have that relationship with the provider. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely right. When you're uh, working with a physician-owned practice, whether it's private equity or a health system, it's a whole different scenario than if you're just calling an independent solo or even a multi-specialty independent practice. Well, good luck calling them because yeah. if they, you're going to have to go through 27 prompts before you get to a human yeah. being, right? So yeah. it's yeah. kind of you're you're a cog in that wheel to go through that right. and and be able to reach somebody to yeah. address your issue. So April, what's the trend today in independent practices? You know, there was a few years ago where all the physicians, mainly due to malpractice and practice cost, were looking to sell to a health system. That's not necessarily the case today, right? Well, I would say that probably still is the case with OBGYN. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with the cost of medical malpractice okay. that they have to incur. Which is about $300,000 a year. Before they can open the door. Right. 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 So that's pretty difficult. And, mm-hmm. and when they do align with a hospital system... Um, typically, they have sovereign immunity, so they don't need to carry that type of me- medical malpractice. Yeah. But I would say with every other specialty, at least in the last six to eight months, I have seen more people leaving these large health systems and going on their own. Okay. But that's a challenge in itself, too, because now that provider is not just a physician. They're a small business owner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the challenges when a physician leaves a health system and goes out on their own. What what is the practice dealing with? Obviously, obtaining contracts with the different insurance companies, okay. payers, and getting credentialed, them, getting yep. credentialed, yep. okay, uh, is one. Obviously, you know, location, location, location. Yep. We were just talking about that, but also too, it's how to set that practice up in order to navigate how healthcare is delivered today, which is in that value based arena. Exactly. Well, you know, uh, we we've talked so many times about why physicians should always maintain that direct relationship between them, their practice and the payers. 100%. And when we talk about moving from a health system into a practice, solo practice, it's all about, we talked about credentialing and contracts. And for our listeners, when you're in, when you're an owned practice by anybody, you're delegated credentialing into that entity. And it's not a direct delegated a, a credential contract with the payer. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And so having the, um, I call it owning your own language, so to mm-hmm. speak, but I do find that it's a safety mechanism for especially an independent physician to hold mm-hmm. as much of their own contractual language yes. with these insurance yeah. companies. Because if the entity that you're involved in that is holding that contract for you let's say, goes out of business or mm-hmm. it no longer provides service in Florida, now that provider has to go out and obtain all those contracts on right. their own. So it's, and, it's a safety measure. And let's say you left the practice June 1 and you want to open up your practice uh, July 1, you better have done the homework well in advance so that you can even begin seeing these patients because you may not even be on the rosters of a preferred pr- network. 
Yeah, if you're going to open in July, don't start in June. Start right. in January. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, normally, it takes about six to eight months to get credential with many of these payers. And, you know, with the IPA that we have, Integrated Independent Physician Network, we've always said that we will help our docs with credentialing, but we don't do the credentialing. Credentialing is significantly different now for physicians mm-hmm. than it used to be years ago. Um, and these delegated credentialing arenas were pretty much kind of welcomed by all of yeah. these insurance companies because they didn't have to do the work, right? right? But now with CAQH, which is really a repository for that credentialing information, okay. every provider can create their own. It's a simple, you just go to their portal, you upload your information, whether it's your medical malpractice, your board certification, whatever it might be. So it's all housed in one place, and all you have to do is share that portal access with each insurance company. So and all the so, data is there. So much easier yeah. for them today. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that's what we do. We coordinate their CAQH number. I think it's like an eight, nine, eight or nine-digit number. Right. And the physician can then share that data, and they don't have to copy all their exactly. information to, the, to each payer. I remember back in the day, they would used to send me their board certifications, and those documents were so big it would come over in four faxes you know and you'd have to tape them together but yeah today it's much better so april why are physicians why do physicians have to be credentialed tell our listeners what that's all about well obviously if there is um a medical malpractice claim or something a sanction that whether state federal has put on to that provider The insurance companies need to know that and good standing because they can't really be adding a physician to their network so that as an in-network provider, if there is some type of sanction or issue that's out there. Now, that doesn't mean that something couldn't have happened. I remember years ago we had an OBGYN that had a nuisance claim that he wasn't even aware of that his medical malpractice had actually um, agreed to. And with that, they still have the opportunity to argue why that happened. So then it's up to the insurance company to determine if it was valid or not. Yeah, so credentialing really says that a physician is in good standing Mm -hmm. with the Florida Department of Professional Relations, basically, here in Florida. That their license is active, that it's in good standing. There are no sanctions, whether they're state or federal, meaning Medicare, Medicaid, and that they've been credentialed. They, They have their DEA number. They have their tax ID. They have all their corporate papers in order, and they're qualified to practice under the board certification that they claim they, they Absolutely. got. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's good information for our, our patients to know and our consumers out there. And quite frankly, they take it another step further. Mm-hmm. So they, the OIG, the Office of the Inspector General, okay. actually does create a list every single month that identifies <clears throat> if any provider has had a sanction. Okay. And so typically a lot of entities. Is that the NEIE? NEIE. LEIE. But it yeah, is through okay. the OIG, the Office of the Inspector okay. General. Okay. And so they kind of track those sanctions, whether it is in Florida or any other state. So if a because we could potentially have a physician that came from another state, maybe had a sanction there and then mm-hmm. comes to Florida to write to, you know, redo their practice. And it's good to know if something happened in another state because, you know, we've had some crazy things happen in that, too. Sure, sure. You know, the pressure on independent physicians today, I mean, they're down to a third of practices in America are actually truly independent mm-hmm. and not have some stake, whether it's private equity or owned by a health system or another large uh, private equity multi-specialty practice. So 
How do you think Walmart, you know, Walmart, CVS Health, uh, Walgreens, you know, CVS Health just bought Oak Street, Mm -hmm. which are in 21 states. Uh, Walgreens tied in with Village MD. Of course, Amazon's got all their Amazon care programs. And now we're even seeing people like Best Buy Mm -hmm. and Kroger getting into the primary care business. What do you think of all that, April? Well, I think... A lot of the reason that that has happened is because we did move away from that fee-for-service model into this value-based model. Okay. And, and be- we're going to talk about value-based a little later on the program. And because of that, they're, because the way they're judged on delivering value-based care is, like I said earlier, it is all based on what is going down on a claim. Mm-hmm. So the access to what a physician is actually doing in the office and what's being reported to the insurance company can differ. Okay. So I think they're looking at adding these as accesses for people because maybe they're not checking all the boxes that maybe an independent physician is. When in all honesty, if you were to look at the chart and read what was happening with the physician and the patient, all of those things have been covered. So I think it's really more, we need to do more to educate consumers on, you know, what is happening at the time of service when you see your provider and then compare that with some of these, you know, kind of just pop in places. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, when we, we're going to take a break here in a minute, but we come back, we're going to talk about what patients need to understand in their physician relationships, which is just what you're talking about. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about why are practice costs increasing uh, like they are. It's it's stated that in the last five years, the cost of running a practice has increased over 40%. Yeah, it's ridiculous. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. It's Healthcare Now with Dr. Mark and Larry Jones. Join us at 7 o'clock Thursday evenings for a great discussion on all things healthcare. Healthcare Now, Thursday nights at 7, and now Healthcare Now Extra, Saturdays at 11 a.m., only here on The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Welcome back to Healthcare Now studios. This is Larry Jones, and I'm here with our special guest today, April Peterson. Dr. Mark is out this week, and April's filling in. And April, your background with physicians, with networks, dealing with insurance companies, and even value-based care is pretty extensive. So we were talking in the last segment about patient relationships and physician relationships. So let's go back to that. What do patients need to understand when they choose a physician and how they manage that physician relationship? Your thoughts on that? Well, I think, again, in an independent environment, it really is a relationship. It is going in and that provider getting to know you, you getting to know that provider. But also, too, there there does need to be some onus on the consumer when going to see that provider. And the reason I say that is, is I think it's really important that patients understand what their benefit plan is. It's simple to do. There's a number on the back of their card. They can call and get all of that information, find out who's in network, who's out of network. But then also, too, what are some of the quality measures that the payer or insurance company is requiring their primary care physician to actually implement with them? And that's you're really referring to some of the value based care metrics. Correct. So, I mean, just on a, a quick view of it is 
you know, women need a mammogram. Everyone at the age, I think it's now 45, needs a colonoscopy or a colon screening. And what we find is, is there's some patients that are really, we call them non-compliant. They're not doing Mm -hmm. that. So I don't know, is it the communication between the physician and the patient? Um, I think the physician really does need to hone in on how important that is. But that kind of ties into the the costs, right? So yeah. if we're not doing these preventative screenings, and now we have to address breast cancer yeah. later on in life, right. it's significantly not just more expensive, yeah. but obviously the patient doesn't have as good of a prognosis. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk all the time, Dr. Mark and I, about getting your annual wellness visit. Absolutely. There is no copay. It's free based on your insurance provider. Picking a primary care physician, establishing a baseline. And one of the things we talk about all the time, April, is knowing your numbers. Right. And those numbers are knowing your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your blood sugar, and your BMI, your body mass index. Absolutely. And we talk about that all the time. And, of course, there's so many other things when you talk about these screenings. Uh, you know, cancer is up. It's estimated there will be 2 million people in America be diagnosed with cancer this year. And it's so easy to address it early on. So that's why the screenings yeah. are so important. Get it done yeah. early, know early, yeah. because your prognosis is so much better. Yeah. And, you know, earlier this month, the American Cancer Society released a new study that details the rise of death due to colorectal cancer in both men and women under the age of 50. And you mentioned earlier that now the, uh, I guess the benchmark is at 45, go get a basic screening. But in the late 90s, colon cancer was the fourth largest, fourth leading cause of cancer uh, in the U.S., uh, cancer deaths in the U.S. for both men and women. But now it's the leading cause of death among men and the second leading cause of cancer deaths among women. Oh, my. Yeah. You got to do these screenings. Yeah. It's just imperative. You and, know what I mean? It, but yeah. you, but to go back to what you said about annual wellness visit, okay. that, that kind of ties into that relationship with the provider again. Because here's the thing. A typical office visit between a patient and a physician is very short. Yes. Not just from the time that they check in, but I mean from the time the physician actually walks into the exam room. Mm-hmm. The nicest thing about an annual wellness visit, and I encourage everybody on planet Earth to do this, is the physician actually does block out usually 30 minutes to an hour. And that okay. is a perfect time to also get to know your and physician. And that's in the independent world. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. not typically in, in even even in large health systems because okay. the the reimbursement for it is based on time. I got you. But it is the best time because now you have that provider's undivided attention. And not only are they going to get to know you, your habits, your hobbies, but you can actually start to identify, is this the right person for me? Am I able to communicate with that provider correctly? Um, Do we align in our goals? You know, so use that annual wellness visit, not just for your screenings and everything, but also for the ability to get to know your physician better. Yeah. Very interesting, April. You know, what are the best ways that a patient or a consumer can find the right doctor, April? I'm a big proponent of referrals from family and friends. I believe so, because, again, it it aligns personalities and goals. Um, And how does your insurance uh, plan come into play there? But, again, turn that card over and call that number on the back of your card. Typically, every single major insurance payer on planet Earth has a portal for their patients. And I, t- I just recently this year changed my insurance. So okay. I went through the new insurance company's portal. Mm-hmm. I registered. I found out who was in network, who was out of network. 
um, what little incentive programs were available. They send me money if I get my annual wellness visit. There are so many incentives for patients on insurance, but they have to follow the rules of the yeah. insurance company. So exactly. if you just find out from them, it really helps navigate you. It's yeah. just such a, yeah. a such a great tool. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, uh, Dr. Mark and I also talk about many times in how to pick your health plan particularly if you're using healthcare.gov, the ACA, is look up your doctor and see what networks he's in before you choose your network. And look up maybe not just your primary, but your specialists. Yes. Anybody that you see. Even the hospitals that you might need. Absolutely. Okay. You know, uh, when we talked about uh, annual wellness visits, you know, we, we talked about colorectal cancer being now number one and number two for men and women but they're talking about some of the reasons that may contribute to that. I wanted to go back this to for a minute is obesity, sedentary lifestyles, high fat diets, uh, and even inflammatory bowel uh, disease and even genetics. Well, let's face it in America, it's cheaper to get two Big Macs than it is one, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's yeah. education, it's diet. It's a yeah. lot of those things that yeah. really need to be yeah. implemented. Yeah. So, and it's lifestyle changes like stop smoking. Exactly. Fortunately, we're down to less than 15% of America is now smoking. I'm not sure what the vaping number is. I was just going to say, what are the other nicotine? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Under, you know, it's the younger population that are doing more of the vaping, right. which is really serious. Yeah. But uh, limited alcohol consumption, uh, regular exercise, exercise, uh, fiber consumption, all recommended. Uh, Low-fat diet, uh, high-protein diet. I think that's kind of what we're talking about. And a lot of physicians really do offer some of that educational material to their patients at the time of visit. Um, But again, you can go through your insurance company because pretty much every major insurer has different programs, whether it's cardiovascular, whether it's, you know, colon cancer, whatever it might be on how to improve your overall health by following some simple rules. Absolutely. You know, let's go back to a minute. We were talking about cost, the cost of increased practice cost up up over 40% in the last five years. But let's go back to, before we go back to that, how has telehealth helped or hurt independent physician practices, April? You know, I think it's helped to a certain degree, because we have a younger population that would prefer to to have that visit via telehealth. Okay. So that's been, I think, a good addition that has added, especially for a younger family, mom's working, she can't mm-hmm. get to the physician, but she's not feeling well, she can do a telehealth yep. visit, get a yep. Z-pack, you know. And Versus going to the ER. It, well, yeah. yeah let's, Huge difference exactly. in cost. And, yeah. and quite frankly, I think we're over-utilizing ERs to a, Without a certain doubt. degree yeah. where so many things can be handled, even if it was a minute clinic with CVS yep. or Village yep. MD or something, right. um, if you could not get into your primary care provider. But, but yeah, and that's part of the reason why the costs are going up, right? Yeah. So, well, you know, it's so interesting. I've together. had people tell me that on their health plan on a Saturday night, they never got to the doctor during the week and the cold kind of blew up on them. So they got on the phone. They call their telehealth provider. Uh, they got they were on the phone for 15 minutes. He ordered a pack or whatever they needed. They went to the pharmacy and an hour later they had their meds. And, and How simple is that? And patients and consumers should ask their physician, do you have a telehealth option that I could do? Yep. You know, yep. is it after hours? Is yep. it on the weekends? But if they say no, what's the next option? Yep. 
Call the number on the back of your insurance card. I don't think enough people call that number and find out. Typically, a lot of these insurance companies have their own telehealth hubs that can help get you through until you can see that physician. Well, you know, it's interesting. When you look at, you talked about ER visits earlier. When you look at ER versus admissions, only 16% of every patient that went to an ER last year in America was actually admitted. Isn't that So crazy? what does that tell you about the other 84%? That you could have used a high-acuity yeah. urgent care yeah. center. You could have, again, telehealth. I mean, we see it all the time where people are going to the ER for a headache. And talk about the cost of that, April. Well, and I don't understand... I guess I I probably do. Maybe they want immediate access to to somebody they think is going to help them. But I I don't understand why you would choose to pay such a high deductible to go to an emergency room for a for maybe non-serious issue. Now, don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. I mean, if it is serious and you're very concerned, then it is the appropriate place to go. If it's a life-threatening issue, you've got to go to the ER. Absolutely. But there are so many simple things that you can do that not only reduce the copay to the patient because there are co-insurance and co-pays. Minimum $250 if you walk in the ER. And that's self-pay. You're lucky to see $250 today. It's It's as much as $500 now, right? Yeah, Yeah, it is really, really high. So I, I just would default Again, the number on the back of the card, typically when you are insured, that number, that member services number on the back of the card can even guide you to a 24-hour nurse hotline. So you could then get triaged from that nurse. If they felt that this is life imminent and you go to the ER, then that's a different story. But you've looked at all the options first, you know. Very interesting. You know, uh, we talk all the time about the cost of a practice. Why has physician practices increased so? And talk about the ER, uh, the EMR system, the electronic medical health records. And you mean the overall cost for the, the providers to, for, yeah, to start a practice? practice? Yeah. Well, the first thing out the door would be that medical malpractice, right? Yep. So you got to pay that yep. tab before you can see patient That's one. Right. Um, and those have increased dramatically year after year, double yep. digits. Yep. I mean, it's been really, really tough. Yeah, actually, Medical malpractice claims in Florida are up, but the premiums are down a little bit in Florida right now. Are they down a little? Yeah, but they say that there's another tsunami coming. Well, and I think what's happened, too, is a lot of physicians have band together, tried to spread that risk out, and so they're going into bundled agreements. Captives, I think they call them. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we've actually talked to some. In fact, we're looking at a malpractice program for our doctors now. Right, yeah. To try and reduce that high increase every year. That definitely helps. But then you do. You have the electronic medical records. That's a cost for them. Obviously, location. Obviously, staff. You know, there's so many pieces that go into play. Like I said, they're not just physicians at this point. They are small business owners. Yeah. So they really have to. They have to get their own workers' comp. You know, they have to have their own liability insurance for their property. It it gets to be pretty expensive. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) physicians in the U.S. healthcare industry today – still hold a significant role as primary caregivers, diagnosticians, and even coordinators of patient care. And 90% of what happens in healthcare is usually referred to by a physician. Absolutely. And that's important. But the landscape for physicians has been undergoing changes due to all these things like evolving payment models Mm -hmm. and all the things that you kind of mentioned earlier, technological advancements, increased administrative burden, and even shifts in many legislative health care policies, April. Yeah. 
you know, it, it is unfortunate that we have all of this that's on top of it. But um, at the end of the day, I still think it's probably the best environment for patients to get the best care. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. It's Healthcare Now with Dr. Mark and Larry Jones. Join us at 7 o'clock Thursday evenings for a great discussion on all things healthcare. Healthcare Now, Thursday nights at 7, and now Healthcare Now Extra, Saturdays at 11 a.m., only here on The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Welcome back to the Healthcare Now studio. This is Larry Jones, and I'm here with April Peterson. And I do not play a doctor on TV. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) But you're in these offices so regularly, and you've been doing it for so many years, there's probably not much you haven't seen when it comes around a physician practice, April. No, I would agree with that, yes. (laughs) And and we've worked together for a long time, so I really appreciate it. But, you know, we were talking uh, in our last segment the undergoing the physicians, the landscape of physicians and what's been going on in the last few years due to factors like evolving payment models, uh, technological advancements, and particularly administrative burdens, April. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that kind of, you. I think earlier you had mentioned something about, um, you know, physicians being more involved. And quite frankly, I really think physicians need to be more involved in making the rules in healthcare. <laughs> uh, currently, we have the federal... Are you talking about versus politicians that well, don't know anything cur- about healthcare? <laughs> currently, we have bureaucracy people. That's I mean, right. there are so many different people that are making these rules that have never laid hands on a patient. Exactly. Uh, or been it, in a... Or even, or even worked in a physician exactly. office. Exactly. Yeah. It yeah. is absolutely... Yeah mind-blowing and that's probably the one comment that I get from physicians on a daily basis is who is making these rules because although some of them do make sense I do understand value-based care with doing preventative screenings because overall that would if everyone's compliant it would reduce costs I do agree with that but on the flip side how what is the practical application of that rule and I think that's where the burnout comes from and the administrative burdens because every insurance company does it a little bit different that's right. Well, we talk about all the time. If you've seen one practice, you've seen one practice. You've only seen one we practice. We talk about it all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Well, you know, when you talk about high levels of paperwork, I've actually got some stats here. I think this came in from Innovalon, and it was a survey they did. They estimate that the administrative cost for a primary care office visit is $20. Wow. And the administrative cost for an inpatient surgical procedure is $215. Yeah. But that, then in becoming more so that makes it more difficult for physicians to stay independent. Well, ever. especially if yeah. it if it's a $20 administrative cost per patient and yeah. the reimbursement is less than $100. Yeah. There you go. What, how What's do you, left? Okay, you yeah. got to pay your light bill. Yeah. And you got your EMR system. You got to pay your EMR system. You got to pay your employees. You got to pay employees. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many things. Now yeah. you got to jump through hoops yeah. because, God forbid, you got to yeah. refer them to a specialist. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it really doesn't have effective health care. But did you see where that congressman the other day recommended? And I think she was from California, which totally makes sense. Recommended that the minimum wage should be $50. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did you see that? Could you imagine? Yeah. And and, and, did you see the scenario on that? There, there are. If you're providers. working at Burger King or a fast food restaurant, and you're working forty hours a week, 
That's a $100,000 a year uh, income, $106,000 a year. If you're, you and your spouse are together working at that fast food restaurant at a $50, you have an income of $206,000. Oh that God. means a hamburger would probably be 75 bucks. Well, here's the good news. <laughs> We were just recently talking about obesity. That Big Mac may be so unaffordable that we don't have the obesity. Well, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. You know, physicians say that their finances have worsened year over year. 26% of physicians surveyed in this Inovalon survey basically said that their, their, their financial picture as a practice has worsened year over year. Well, again, I'm going to default back to the old payment schedule, which really was this fee-for-service model. So right. when they and, – and I'm, I'd be curious to see, is this based on that? Because if you look at it from that fee-for-service model, I would agree with this. It has gone yep. down significantly. Yep. Um, but when you look at the way that healthcare has transitioned to this value-based model, mm-hmm. there are incentives in place that allow that provider to actually earn additional revenue based on the outcome and performance. Right. Again, that outcome and performance is only gauged by codes on a claim. I, I disagree with the application of it, but I do agree with the overall perspective. Yep. You know, and and you hit the nail on the head. 29% of physicians said that they're dropping Medicare physician payments from 2001 to 2023. So 22 years, consistent drops in Medicare payment. And that, that doesn't affect just Medicare patients. That affects the commercial market because everything's based off that gold standard. Which is 100% accurate. I would say that the majority of all the contracts that providers are signing are based on a certain year of the Medicare allowable. So if it goes down on Medicare, it's obviously going to go down on their commercial contracts. (laughs) You know, uh, this survey indicated that over 36,000 practices were sold to hospitals or corporations between 2019 and 2021. That's a lot. I think that's probably been reduced some, though, April, don't you? Well, I mean, I agree with it to some degree because I would see where maybe physicians that are getting older that want to retire, that is an option for yeah. them to get, that's you their, know, to sell that's their, their bailout. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. really, it's they're selling their small business, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I could see it from that side. But I will say, just like I mentioned earlier, we are getting so many people that are leaving large healthcare systems, large groups, large venture capitalist groups that are really wanting to go out on their own. And yep. and the primary reason that they're telling me that they want to do that is because they want to, they took an oath to do no harm and they want to do the best per, per care that they can on their right. patients. Right. And if somebody else is telling them what and how to do it, then they don't feel like they're in yeah. control of that patient relationship. Yeah. On average, what do you see is the physicians that are moving from hospitals into private practice or even venture capital into private practice today per month? What are we seeing in our network, April? I would say it's, I mean, it's still small. Um, I probably get 20 to 30 new people leaving. That's a lot of a month. Well, also yeah. we cover a very large uh, portion of the, of the state. True. So I would, I would, and it is spread out everywhere, I will yeah. say. But, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't be able to correlate it to like the whole total population. What would I say? Maybe 10%, you know, okay. but honestly, that's significantly higher than it's ever been before. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without it. And you know, some of those frustrations, 81% of physicians in this survey 
said that insurance policies are interfering with their ability to practice medicine. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how are insurance companies impacting physicians today, April? Well, again, it is every insurance company has a different way of... We could probably talk about this for days. ...administering, and I do talk about it for yeah, days. Yeah. Um, every insurance company does administer their policies different based on that insurance company. So, for instance, uh, one provider has to go to a Cigna portal in order to make a referral to a specialist. Mm-hmm. If the person is on Blue Cross, they have to go to a different one. So there's just all these different places that they have to go. It would be nice if there was like one centralized bank yeah. where they could actually facilitate it because it would reduce so much of that yeah. administrative burden on them. Um, and I think it would actually yeah. improve patient care yeah. to make it easier. Yeah. And are EMRs today capable of handling the no. value-based movement, April? <laughs> no. Talk a little bit about that and why. Because there's 4 million EMRs out there. No two, are. they seem to not be on the same version. They're all okay. different versions. So I would say the majority of our providers are probably on what's called eClinical Works. Okay. Um, it is a big one that's out there, and yep. it is very functional. Yeah. But again, it's garbage in, garbage out. Almost half of our docs use eClinicals, yeah. I think. But again, if you're not putting the information in the right place in the EMR, you can't extract it out perfectly in order to then, whether it's referring or reporting, to be able to see what you've done. So, And, you know, the quality metrics and value-based, of course, we have HEDIS and we have all the stars in Medicare, but many of the quality metrics are different from payer to payer, even though HEDIS is somewhat the standard doesn't that make it more complicated for an EMR system and a practice staff to manage this? It does. On the Medicare side, the HEDIS measures that are actually being recorded are fairly similar. Some okay. will add one or delete another one. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to do that. On the commercial side, they're all the same. NCQA is who sets up what those national quality measures should be. Okay, And there are a lot of them. Um, even with and children. NCQA is the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Correct. Okay. And so they they have a broad list of what they all are. Medicare and Medicare Advantage plans work off a subset of those. So they're typically more of those preventative screenings, the colonoscopy, the mammogram, things of that nature. Your commercial insurances use those as well, but they'll add some of the other ones like for children getting their immunizations or getting their physical every year, or um, even if you're appropriately um, prescribing an antibiotic based on the diagnosis. So it it can get very minute um, depending on who the insurance company is that's asking for those quality measures. Interesting. Uh, we've, we're having a great discussion here, April, and I, I really enjoy uh, having you on the show is fun uh we're we're gonna let's talk a little bit what do you think the biggest challenge for physician is today oh that's a big question well i think it's all of it yeah Um. it is all of it but if you were to nail it down to one or two things obviously value-based care and engagement is a big one i honestly believe that 
the biggest challenge is understanding, because again, I keep defaulting back to they are not just physicians, they are small business owners. And in order to run a business appropriately, you have to know what all of the rules are. And they're not familiar with it. Physicians typically want to offer good care, take care of their patients. They have kind of tunnel vision with that. They don't see all the administrative stuff that comes with it. So I would say the administrative burdens that are placed on practices, irregardless of independent or not. Right. If the, the physicians that are participating in a large health system have employees that can help them through it, right? right? Where an independent physician is going to hopefully be able to figure it out or at least understand it and then hopefully have somebody employed that can help navigate it for them as well. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, uh, we talk about value-based care, and we, Dr. Mark and I have talked, I think on our January 11th show, we or maybe February 11th, we talked quite a bit about value-based care. But why is that challenging to physicians, April? It's not, uh, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. The concept is, and, and that's, again, it goes back to my, you know, we need to let clinicians start to make these rules on how to implement it because they already are offering value-based care. The difference is, is how you record, document, and submit it. And that's where I think they become, mm-hmm. they're not uh, EMR specialists or coders or, you know, they're they're doing their assessment of a patient, documenting their notes, putting it in a progress note. And then from there, it needs to take another four, five, six steps before it gets recorded yeah. onto a claim and submitted to the insurance company. And that's where I see the biggest problem is. Right. And again, we talked about coding and billing a little earlier. You hit on that a little bit. Why is that so difficult for physicians and staff? Because billing is a code you put on a claim and you get reimbursed based on what that Medicare allowable says it should be, right? And then coding is actually all of the diagnosis codes. And we recently, over the past few years, went from what they call ICD-9 to ICD-10, and it expanded the codes by what? Was it for 40,000, 50,000 codes? Yep. I mean, I think there's a code. There's a code now that says you, uh, if you've been bitten on the right leg by an orca whale. I mean, you know, it's, it's too many. Yeah, yeah, too many codes. We're talking with April Peterson. We're talking all things healthcare, and particularly what matters to a physician practice and a patient. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the status of physicians in the U.S. healthcare industry, and also some good news and bad news for physicians in 2024. April. All right, sounds good. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. It's Healthcare Now with Dr. Mark and Larry Jones. Join us at 7 o'clock Thursday evenings for a great discussion on all things healthcare. Healthcare Now, Thursday nights at 7, and now Healthcare Now Extra, Saturdays at 11 a.m., only here on The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Welcome back to the Healthcare Studios. This is Larry Jones, and I'm here with our guest today, April Peterson. Hello. Who is a physician advocate and been in this business working with doctors for many, Way many too years. Long. <laughs> uh, you know, April, let's talk a little bit about uh, the final thoughts on what physicians are being impacted by in healthcare today. Uh, you know, we talk about 
physicians are still 90% of what a physician does details and drives the cost of healthcare today. Yet right. only physicians get less than 10% of that healthcare dollar. Which is, again, why is that, April? I don't know. It's very sad. <laughs> again, who's making up the rules, right? I think if we put the power back in the hands of physicians and providers, we would see that dramatically drop. Yep. Because at the yep. end of the day, they don't want their patients to have to run to the emergency room for everything. They don't right. want them to be admitted into the hospital. Right. You know, they don't want that. They want to be able to give them the best health care outcomes they possibly can. But again, there is something that needs to be said about putting some onus on the consumer, right? Absolutely. Consumer needs to listen and yep. come up with a plan with their physician. If they don't agree with something, have a discussion about yeah. it. Well, you know, we deal with thousands of patients in value-based programs with most of the different payers in Florida with our thousand physicians. I think we have eight different value-based programs. And to me, the number one emphasis is not just the patient engagement. It's the physician taking ownership of their own health, April. Of the physician taking ownership? No, the, the, phys- the patient taking ownership of their own health. And did I, agree, I say physician? You did, but I, I agree exactly yeah. with what you're saying. Yeah. And and I, and I maybe physicians need to be a little bit stronger about that to, to explain how important it is. I know with a lot of our doctors, we will give them different types of information that come from the insurance companies that is guided mm-hmm. or geared to educating that consumer while they're there. Because again, every insurance company does it a little bit different. Right. But And then that becomes an, another administrative burden. Oh, you're on this plan, you get this. If you're on this plan, you get that, right? Mm-hmm. But that conversation, and like I said just a minute ago, you, you have to have that conversation with your physician. If you are diagnosed with something and he says, this is what I want you to do. If you don't agree with that, have a conversation. What are some right. of the other options? What right. could I do? Right. That's where you start to see the progress in that outcome come yep. from yep. because you're now having an yep. open dialogue with your provider. You know, and, and I see that a lot in our own practices mm-hmm. uh, that patients don't take ownership and physician doesn't force that ownership. Yeah, I know. I do hear from several of them. Well, they're just not compliant. and They're never going to get that mammogram, right? Right. right. And what are you going to do? Five years from now, say, I told you so. You know, you can't do that. So there's only, I will say that by NCQA standards or um, doing these quality measure type of standards, when they look at it at 100% compliance for patients, they really have whittled that down to 80% equals 100%. Because even the federal government understands the fact that the there's going to be at least 20% of the population that just is not going to do what their physician yeah. says. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? Well, you know, you hit on value-based care earlier, and you mentioned a little bit about incentives for patients. You know, talk a little bit about that. I got to tell you, I mean, I have always done this and maybe it's because I'm in this industry, but I always call the number on the back of my card. Nowadays, we go through their portal Mm -hmm. and you just get, I mean, uh, most of these commercial insurances, even the Medicare. They pay a lot of money, don't they? Well, even the Medicare Advantages, they actually will not only monetarily incentivize you. I think I got Publix gift cards for getting my mammogram. Wasn't there a $95 Visa gift card incentive for just getting an annual wellness visit with some of these payers? There could be. And some of them, it's as high as $200 getting your annual wellness visit. So it depends. And the copay's free. And and the copay's free. How do you lose? You can't. 
can't. I mean, yeah. it's just, and again, that annual wellness visit is so important because yeah. that's your time that you yeah. get to talk to your, your physician, you know, have that conversation. Yeah. So is, how is value-based team approach to healthcare making a difference, April? I think ultimately the perspective was if we implement more of these preventative screenings and require, and again, that's why the insurance companies are giving incentives for yep, it, right? Yep. Is if we can implement more preventative screenings, we can identify issues earlier, either stop them from happening or be able to address them in a more cost-effective way. I, I forget where I read that, but um, isn't mm-hmm. isn't 80% of the healthcare dollar spent in the last 20% of life? Absolutely. So, you know, again... And 80% of healthcare dollars are spent on 20% of the patients. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Overall. Because yeah. what are you doing? You've yeah. got your healthier people that are, again, exactly. spreading the risk. Yep. To, to cover the sicker patients. But there's a way to kind of get ahead of that, and that is by doing those screenings. Yeah. I think value-based care is, I mean, it, it's something that consumers are really not aware of. You know, they I think they default mm-hmm. more to that incentive program, do your screenings, do those things. Mm-hmm. But the physician, from the physician perspective on value-based what I always tell any new practice that's joining, and as a matter of fact, even many of the older practices that we have with older providers, is if you can really adopt a workable solution on how to address these value-based markers, if you yep. will. Quality in, metrics or whatever you want to call in, them. And yep. correct coding for diagnosis, because okay. I know that there's a bazillion of them and you're yep. not going to get the orca whale bite. But right. if you can at least code to the highest level of specificity, okay. then you are then setting that member up with enough claims dollars to be able to handle any of the chronic issues that they have. Right. So it's kind of a twofold. And I think if the physician really does embrace it, because we've got handfuls of them that do very well. They are and some don't high do performing. Very well. Some don't. Some struggle. Well, Typically talk about highest level of specificity, April. Explain to our listeners what that means. So, I mean, if here's a chronic condition that it seems to be pretty widespread is diabetes. Yep. And you go to your provider and he marks that you have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you also have chronic kidney disease, stage three, okay. there some or pro- even high blood pressure or whatever, but yeah. some yeah. providers will actually code diabetes as one code and then they'll code the chronic kidney disease separately. Yeah. And quite frankly, if the diabetes led to the chronic kidney disease, those codes should not be separated. They should all be in one. It should be it's diabetes. HCC code. Correct. Yeah. It, it should be diabetes with chronic kidney disease stage level three. And what that does is it tells the insurance company or Medicare or whoever it is okay. that this person has a much higher significant chronic condition that's going to be more expensive. Okay. And so the highest level of specificity specificity helps the claims dollar follow the patient right. so that there is enough money to, to be spent for on treatment. all the services yeah. that yeah. they need because they're going to yeah. need more. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, that's the whole game in Medicare Advantage is coding. Yeah. And, you know, it's estimated in 2024, MAs are going to cost Medicare $80 billion more than FIFA service Medicare. What do you say to that, April? Really? Yes. No, I, I, I was not aware of and that. And that's but one of the reasons why they changed CMS it. <laughs> changed it and they went to what they call version 28, V28 they yeah. call it, to make it a little bit more difficult to get that higher reimbursement. But again, 
Medicare or even insurance companies have to pay more for sicker patients. And But they need to know who they are. That's right. Because if That's they right. do not allow yep. for the amount of dollars to cover that sicker patient, then there's going to be a major deficit. And I understand. Exactly. I mean, I'm not shocked with what you said. I just didn't yep. know those were the numbers. Yeah. But that is exactly why yeah. they changed the scope of, yeah. of HCC and, and yeah. chronic condition coding. Well, it's estimated since 2010, and here we're in 2024, Medicare Advantage has cost over $600 million more than straight Medicare. Well, and you look at how many more people are actually joining exactly. Medicare Advantage 70% roles. of new Medicare beneficiaries aging into Medicare are choosing an MA plan, and that's 10,000 patients a day. Yeah, exactly. So you can figure 7,000 a day are moving into Medicare Advantage. Which is crazy. So yeah. I guess that's why yeah. they had no choice but to change yeah. the rules on coding. Yeah. <laughs> but then when you look at the financial piece of whether you go straight Medicare or you go Medicare Advantage, it's significant for a Medicare retiree with a fixed income. 100%. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, you know, the no co-pays to primary care and or specialists, yeah. um, lower out-of-pocket costs, their sure. prescription yeah. medications that they they get a Part D plan in there. Yeah. Um, it is definitely good. But then you look at those incentives. And I oh, don't, yeah. I really don't know how long commercial insurance has done it. I think they're piggybacking off of what the Medicare Advantages yeah. did but those incentives, like get the annual wellness visit, you get a hundred dollar gift card, uh, you know, get your mammogram, you get a fifty dollar gift card. That's now becoming like the norm everywhere. Yep. So there's yep. that piece too. So not just being on a fixed income, but it's nice to be able to. I think recently in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. a lot of the Medicare Advantage plans have added a healthy eating card. So yes. you've yes. been able to I've have some additional mm-hmm. dollars to yep. buy healthier, you Healthy know, food. Foods, yeah. And why would they do that? Yeah. Why would they make that investment yep. if yep. it did not actually yep. impact your health? Exactly. Right? Because it's well, going to keep you out of the hospital. There yeah. you go. It's going to yeah. keep you out of the hospital. Yeah. It's going to reduce yeah. the costs. Yeah. yeah. You know, we can't overlook before we uh, finish up today, pharmacy costs, drug costs. Oh. And, you know, drug costs have exceeded 20% of the total health care dollar and are, are patients over-medicated today, April? I know you're not a physician, but you see the numbers, you see the stats, you see the utilization. Well, isn't America the only country that actually advertises pharmaceuticals and commercials on TV? Yeah. Well, what does that tell you? And I, we pay 100% of the research and development. Exactly. For, <laughs> for pharma in this And world, yet have the highest cost. World. And yeah. have the highest cost yeah. for those yeah. same medications yeah. that are being developed here. Yeah. But what's interesting is, is I can't tell you how many times physicians will tell me, I am so sick of those ads because the patient will self-diagnose themselves on WebMD and and then says, I want the purple pill. That's right. And (laughs) it's a branded drug that costs seven times what the generic costs. And then they'll say, this is in Burger King. You can't have it your way, you know? (laughs) Interesting. You know, and we talk about medication adherence a lot and medication reconciliation in the value-based world. Hit on that just for a second, April. Well, medication adherence is one of those quality measures that they're required. The physician is actually um, dinged, if you will, uh, if their patients are not taking the prescribed medications. And these are typically maintenance medications, high blood pressure, statins for um, cholesterol and those kind of things. If you're not able to fill that prescription or take that prescription, 
have a conversation with your provider because mm-hmm. maybe they can put you to something different, yep. which would actually yep. help both yep. the patient and the physician. Yeah, you know, a personal situation. When my dad was in his 90s, he came to live with us because of dementia. Mm. He was on 11 meds. And my wife, being a critical care nurse, right. took him to the physician. When they came out, he was on one med. Oh, my. And he wasn't in this stupor anymore and walking around like a zombie. Exactly. You got to weigh out the, the yep. side effect to yep. the benefit, right? Yeah, yep. absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, are we chemically killing our bodies yeah. with drugs? I think that's kind of the issue today. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, April, it has been a pleasure having well, you on the show today. Well, thanks for me. This was a lot of fun. It's been a great conversation. And, uh... We're going to continue talking about all things healthcare. Okay, sounds good to me. We'll see you next week. All Thank right. you for joining us today on Healthcare Now. To find the answers you are looking for or have a question, you can reach Larry and Dr. Mark by emailing your questions and comments to follow us at healthcarenow.us. And we'll continue our discussion same time next week on navigating our complex healthcare system on Healthcare Now. On Healthcare Now. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.